Good to see you all this morning. If it's your first time here, glad to have you. Um, if you're a college student and uh, you're new here or maybe you're back um, after the summer, whatever that may be, um, we're glad to have you. As you saw when you walked in the doors, there's a sign up, um, unless it fell already, that says home away from home. Uh, welcome to you guys. And, and we do hope that we can be a part of being a home away from home for you, um, a place where uh, you can find family, you can find community, you can find other people who are um, going the same direction as you, who can uh, do life with you. We really do want to be that and, um, and hope that you'll, you'll uh, uh, find that here as you attend. And, and we'll start up in September, September 1st. We'll have our uh, college nights beginning. I uh, hope you'll do that. hope you'll join a connect group, which is our small groups. Got a lot of different ways for you to plug in here, uh, whether it's serving, whatever it may be, um, and, and hope that you will find a home away from home. Um, today, we're going to continue this series in grace. Uh, we've been looking at grace, the power of God, and how multifaceted grace is. And that uh, the way I would define grace is it's God's unconditional love, his unmerited favor that moved God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Um, and that is what we see God do from the beginning of the word uh, and scripture uh, to the very end, is that God, because of his great love for us, he did for us what we could not do, and that is to reconcile us to himself, to make us right with him through his son, Jesus, um, and to give us the assurance of that through his Holy Spirit. Today, as we continue to look at this, I want to look at something, uh, again, that Grace has done. Um, Heather, as you saw in that video, spoke about how they are fostering children, spoke about uh, their desire to adopt these children. I don't want to move on from that without saying if that's something that the Lord puts on your heart is to be a part of fostering, um, then we'd love to help you get going with that. We'd love to help you. If you go back here, out these back doors to the next steps table, um, we can help get you connected with some folks that'll help you get started with that. Uh, we, there's always a need for that. Um, and that's something certainly that we want to be a part of um, fulfilling that need in our community. Um, but today I really want to speak to this from a standpoint of looking at our adoption by God, that God has adopted us into his family. And I want you to see uh, this and how it plays out. And going all the way back to Exodus chapter 19, this is very early in scripture, very uh, second book here in the Bible. Um, Exodus 19, there's a man by the name of Moses who is leading God's people, the Israelites. He has uh, used Moses, God has used Moses to bring them out of Egypt, out of this slavery. And so this is what God tells uh, Moses in Exodus. It says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And so he's talking about this deliverance of his people, the Israelites, the Jewish people from Egypt, from the slavery that they were in for about 400 years. He said, I brought you to myself now. And listen to this. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses goes back to these people, to the Israelites, these chosen people of God, and he tells them what God has said. And they say, yeah, what he has said is good. We will do everything that he says. The problem is we go over into um, Exodus chapter 20. We get the Ten Commandments. And uh, these are the things that they are supposed to keep. We know Jesus even boiled these down to two commandments. He said, look, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he said all that the prophet said, all that the, the is written in the law, he said every bit of it hangs on those two commandments. If you can fulfill those two, then you, can, you will fulfill all of the law. The problem with that is that this agreement that God made with them, that if they keep the law, they'll be his treasured possession, this nation that belongs to him is they couldn't keep it. And so these people were trying and striving to, to make uh, themselves right with God to do all of these things. We've talked about that a good bit. The thing I want you to see though, is that they were unable to do that. Yet God's heart, and what I want you to be able to understand in this, God's heart from the very beginning was to create a people for himself. Even in the original creation account, God desired to create a people for himself in his image that would fill the earth and bring him glory in how they ruled over the earth, how we lived, all of those things. Sin messed that up. He gives this law and he says, look, if you will keep these commands, we can restore what was broken. The problem is they couldn't keep the commands. And so we're still in this place where... Um, we're not able to fulfill what God desired. We're not able to be the people God desired us to be. And yet God doesn't quit with that. He is still determined to create a people for himself, a people who are called by his name, a people that will uh, be recreated in his image and bring him glory. Go look now at Luke chapter four. This is not gonna be on the screen. I just put this in. But Luke chapter four, or chapter three, I'm sorry, let's start there. With the baptism of Jesus, Luke 3, 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, so John the Baptist is going about baptizing people, calling them to repentance, to turn back to God. It says, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, as he was praying, heaven was opened. And listen to this, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now over to Romans chapter eight. It's the last part of scripture we'll read. Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse one, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Down to verse 12, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I wanna pray for us. Lord, I do pray you'll speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would leave here with a greater understanding, even more thankfulness, gratitude for what it means to be adopted into your family, to be your children. God, I pray that we would even be in awe of that, God. Not because of my words, but because of what the Spirit reveals to us, Lord. Help us to see this. Not just to see it, but to grab hold of it. And then to apply it, God, as we live in this truth that really has the power to set us free and the power to fulfill your intent from the very beginning. We love you, Lord. I praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question. How many of you, um, you want to be liked? Anybody in here, you want to be liked? Nobody wants to be liked? One person that wants to be liked. So y'all just want to be hated, right? That's seriously like, you want to be liked, right? I doubt there's too many people who sincerely, you know, some people say, I don't care what people think about me. It's good because they probably think you're, you know. Um, but seriously, like for the majority of us in here, we want to be liked. Um, and so because of that, because I'm no different it honestly makes what I do every Sunday, just about every Sunday, getting in front of you, it makes it pretty nerve wracking for me because this is what I realize. Just about every word I say is being judged. People leave here with an opinion, not just of a message, but of me. I've had people even as close, you know, as this week who told me like, at some point when I started a message that they realized right from the beginning, it wasn't for them. I'm like, wow, you know, like straight out the gate. I'm like, do now. And, and so here's the thing I realized, like there's a pressure that I feel in that to be liked, uh, to do a good job. Anybody feel bad when you feel like you fail? Feel like you fail? It doesn't feel good, does it? It feels a lot better to be able to beat your chest, hold up, you know, the, the, this finger, not the other finger. <laughs> and be like, I'm number one, right? I'm on top of the world. Doesn't feel very good when you feel like you're below. Um, and so that's part of the pressure I know I feel in life. Even up here right now, that's, that's part of the pressure I feel is this desire to be liked, the desire to fit in. And everything we do, there, there is that pressure. And sometimes I think it even leads us to a place of being bound that the Bible tells us the fear of man is a snare. And many times I think we want to live out a life that may be different than a lot of the ways we live, but because of the pressure and we think peer pressure is just for 13 year olds, right? But it exists I don't care how old you are in some way. We may want to live out a different life, but the Bible is true that the fear of man becomes a snare. And in some ways we don't live out that life because of this fear of what will people think? What will people say? 
How will I be viewed? All of these different things. And today what I hope you can see is that your acceptance is not based off of your performance. It's not even based off of man's opinion. Your acceptance is based off of the work of Jesus. Your acceptance is proven through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the challenging thing for us, and this is where I'm having to live in this moment. See, I preached a message at nine. It felt, we don't live by feelings, we live by truth, but it felt like it didn't go well. And here's the, the hard part for us, and this is where I'm trying to live out the message, is the hard part for us is to not live off of other people's opinions. The hard part for us is not to even live off of my opinion. The challenging thing for us, the hard part for us is to accept God's opinion. Does that make sense? Am I willing to trust God enough to accept his opinion of me, not to live off of my own opinion, what I feel, how I may feel, and the opinions of other people? When we look at Exodus 19, the one thing I want you to see in this is that God has desired to create a people that are his, they, that are his sons, his daughters. And he gave them this law, but the law could not recreate them into the people God desired for them to be. They were still an unrighteous, not right with God people. The word righteous literally means as one ought to be. They were still people who were not as they ought to be. It didn't matter how hard they tried. They were still as they ought not to be rather than righteous in right standing with God. But we see where God didn't quit. God didn't give up. He had a plan. He knew the plan all along before the foundations of the world were laid. He had a plan for how he was going to remedy this situation, this separation of God and man, this enmity even that existed, this, this, um, most hatred between because of sin that existed. He knew how he would remedy this and it would be remedied through Christ. And when we look at scripture, we see this truth. We see how this plays out. It says there in verse 12, of Romans. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I simply want you to see this. It says we have an obligation. The word for obligation um, means debt. In other words, we have a debt. And here's the thing that I believe Paul is saying we have a debt, but it's not to the flesh. The flesh meaning our human nature, our ability. I believe what he's trying to get us to see is that we no longer have a debt to try to fulfill the law. 
If you go and read the rest of Romans 8, it talks about how the, the, we died to the law. Like he said, we, we no longer have a debt to fulfill the law in our own strength, in our own ability. In fact, if you go read it, he says, you can't fulfill the law in your own strength and in your own ability. The reason though we don't have a debt to fulfill is because Jesus paid that debt for us. And we look at this in Colossians 2, Paul, same guy, wrote to the churches in Colossae. And in this letter to Colossians, he said this, that, that, that sin creates a debt. It's a debt that we cannot possibly pay. And he says, but that debt's been paid for us through Christ. And the way that that debt was paid is it was paid because Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. That law we looked at in Exodus 19, he fulfilled the righteous requirements of that law that we couldn't fulfill. Then he took our inability, our sin upon himself. And the Bible tells us at the beginning of Romans chapter eight, that that, that sin, that falling short that we had, it was put upon his flesh that was sinless and it was condemned in his flesh. It was condemned in him so that we could be set free. So that now there's no law to fulfill. The reason that there's no obligation to the flesh, there's no obligation to live in our old ways is because, listen, the debt has been paid once and for all. You have no debt to be paid. How does that transfer to our account, right? And here's the thing I want you to see is it's not like we mess up and like a little bit comes out of our account. So now if I do enough good things, I can fill that account back up. No, it's like if you had a, a, a jar full of coins and you mess up and the whole thing just gets dumped out. To break one part of the law, it, it, it's to break it all. And here's the other thing is, is it's like this. Once we have made a mistake, once we have sinned, then it's not like there's just a little bit of us that's unrighteous. The whole thing is unrighteous. Why? Because we're not at the standard we were. And it's, it's not um, a standard that can ever be achieved again. Uh, I would put it like this. How many of you like baseball? Any baseball people in here, guys, girls, you like baseball, go Braves, right? They're looking better. Keep praying for them. But think about this in baseball, you start out with a batting average of a thousand, right? You start out with a thousand, like it's perfect. But if you ever make one out, you will never get to a thousand again, ever. That's depressing. Like you will never be perfect again, hitting wise. Your batting average will never be a thousand. There's some incredible stats. Like I read about Ichiro Suzuki, um, played in the Japanese league, but then came and played for years and years in the United States. After his 10th professional at bat, his batting average went over 300, which is really, really good in professional ball. It never dropped below 300 again for the rest of his career which was like over two decades. Is that not crazy? Ichiro Suzuki could go 0 for 444 at the end of his career, not get a hit in 444 at bats and still hit over 300 for his career. 
That's nuts. Like if you don't love baseball, you're probably bored, but that is nuts, right? Here's the thing though. It doesn't matter how good the hitter is. One out and you're never getting back to a thousand. And that's the way it is with us and sin and righteousness. One out and I'm never getting back to perfect. Work as hard as I can. I'm never getting out of that debt but because Jesus steps in and lives this righteous life, never made it out, right? Never made it out, never sinned, never mistaked, made a mistake, never made a mistake. And then he comes and he takes our sin because this sin had to be punished. It couldn't go unpunished. If, if sin and evil had not gone unpunished, then God is no longer righteous. He's no longer just. But God loved us so much, he had this plan from the beginning that it was a righteous and just way to punish sin without punishing us. And so he takes that sin that is ours to own and he puts it on Jesus. And Jesus goes to the cross and on that day, Paul, Paul says this, at, at the right moment, this climactic moment in history, this day that from the beginning of time and even before had been planned, Jesus on this hill goes to a cross and all the wrath of God for the sin of the world was poured out on him so that we could be made right with God. That's incredible to me. That this law we could not fulfill. Jesus came and fulfilled it. And you know what he got for fulfilling it? Our condemnation. Is that not insane? And here's the thing though, because he was willing to do that, we no longer have a debt to pay. That debt has been paid. We no longer have to strive and strain under the weight of the law to make ourselves pleasing and acceptable to God. Those days are over. Paul is very clear. If you go read the rest of Romans, he is very clear that the time of Torah, the time of the law, the time of the rule and reign of the 10 commandments was done away with in Jesus. And now you and I by faith have entered into his righteousness. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Not only that, but he has now given us his spirit and through his spirit now we can actually live out the life that God intended for us to live in the first place. He fulfilled the debt and now he's given us the power of the spirit to live the life we couldn't live before him. When we see this, listen, what it tells me is that when I couldn't, Jesus did. What it tells me is that the law may have been given for people who can. Jesus came for people who can't. It tells me that God loves me so much, not just to say I love you, but to demonstrate his love for me by sending his son to pay a price that I should have paid. And as I look at this, I realize and I can finally see like my acceptance, my, my, the favor 
the, the, the desire to be wanted, liked, all of those things do not hinge on my ability. They hinge on the work of Jesus on the cross. I love Luke chapter three and going on in even to four. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture because I believe it speaks to this need for us. I believe it speaks so clearly to this need for us. When Jesus is baptized, I want you to look back, if you will, to Luke chapter three, verse 21. It says, when Jesus was baptized, and Jesus was not baptized because he had need of repentance. Jesus was not baptized because he had sin. Jesus was baptized because it was him identifying with our sin just as he would on the cross. But it says when Jesus was baptized, it said that as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And listen, a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It's incredible to me that Jesus needed to hear those words and certainly the people around him, but I'm gonna say Jesus needed to hear those words that this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And I'd say Jesus needed to hear those words because if you go over to Luke chapter four and the spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted for 40 days and he's being tempted, Two of the three temptations begin with this. When Satan comes to him and he begins to tempt him, two of the three temptations begin with, if you are the son of God. Is that not crazy? But Jesus had just been told by God, by the descending of the Holy Spirit, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I will say this, in every attack that the enemy brings against you, somewhere rooted in there, maybe under the surface, is an attack on your identity as a son or a daughter of God. And you and I, just as much as Jesus, need to hear the Lord speak over us and say, you are my son, you are my daughter with whom I am well pleased. Is he pleased because of the actions we always take? No, but he sees us in the righteousness of Christ. Here's the crazy thing that is hard to wrap our minds around, that you and I, because we are in Christ, we stand on the same holy ground that Jesus stands on before a holy God. That is bizarre for those who believe. If you are the son of God, how do we become sons? How do we become daughters? It's simply by faith. It's simply by belief, by trust. And then the Bible tells us that when we come to faith, it's prophesied throughout the Old Testament. It's clearly um, dealt with and talked about more in the New Testament. The Bible is clear that when we come to faith in Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear that we become a new person 
The Bible is clear that we are taken from this old life and brought into a new life, this old life that was dominated by sin to a new life where God begins to grow us up into the righteousness he's already given us. This is the gift of the spirit that we receive simply by faith, by belief, by trusting in Christ, the spirit is given. And listen, it changes the entire trajectory of our life. The question look for us is not will I live in my old ways or will I live in new different ways? The question for us is, does the spirit live in me? Because if the spirit lives in me, then listen, I'm going to ultimately lean towards God. Doesn't mean I'm not gonna make mistakes. Doesn't mean I'm gonna be perfect and this is just a straight climb up and to the right. But what it does mean is that the trajectory of my life changes. There's a new desire in my heart for God. There's a new desire to be like Christ. There's a new desire and I don't get it perfect. I don't, but my trajectory changes. I'm no longer bent towards sin. Now as Ezekiel 36, way back in the old Testament, as he prophesied, now God's given me a new heart and I'm bent towards God. I'm going to walk away at times. I'm going to stray. Like we sing a song that says I'm prone to wander. But the thing about it is the spirit in me will bring me back. And the Bible tells us this, and this is where this is so important. The Bible tells us this, that it is those who are led by the spirit that are the children of God. I don't think it means like if you clean up your life and you're doing godly things, you're a child of God. What it means is if the spirit is in you, ultimately you will be led by the spirit. The children of God are led by the spirit of God. It says the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, bound in bondage to the law to trying to make yourself right. It says rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is huge, guys. That we recognize that the spirit is in us. The Bible is clear, not just here, but in many other places, that the Holy Spirit in us is the, the seal. It is the guarantee of what's to come. It is the assurance of knowing that I belong to God, that the Holy Spirit is in me. I would ask you this, Is there a desire for God in your heart? Is there a, a longing for God? Is there a love for God? Is there a desire to follow, to be a part of his purposes? Is there a trajectory in your life that's even leading you to grow into the righteousness that Jesus has already given us by faith. Because the question again is not one of I'm doing good, I'm doing bad. The question is, do I have the spirit? 
He's the spirit of God living in me because of faith in Christ. Telling me that I'm a child of God. When we look at this, the challenge for us is to not get to a place where we let the enemy rob us of what God wants us to have. The enemy comes in and he begins to lie. He begins to tell us because of our works, we're not accepted. Because of our works, we aren't loved. But here's the thing. If the spirit is in me and I have a desire for God, then that is what tells me I belong to God. It is not my feelings of acceptance. It's not my feelings of, did I do good enough? It's not my feelings of, am I working hard enough? It is, is the spirit of Jesus Christ in me that cries out, Abba, Father. See, here's what's incredible about that phrase that Paul uses. He says, and by him, meaning the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Here's what's crazy about it. One is Abba is a real intimate endearing word used to the Jews would use to describe their father. It was a term of endearment, respect. But when Jesus came on the earth, he began to pray to his heavenly father as Abba father, which would have blown every Jewish person's mind because you wouldn't address God in that intimate of a way. But Jesus did. Here's what's pretty crazy about that is Jesus then comes on the scene and he begins to invite us to address God with the same words that he used. In other words, Jesus is saying, you now have the same relationship with your heavenly father that I have. The question becomes, is the spirit of God in me that is crying out, Abba, Father, God, I love you. God, I desire you, I need you, I want you in my life. Is the spirit of God working in that way in my heart? And it makes sense that we would cry out the same words of Jesus because it's the spirit of God's son. It's the spirit of Christ who's in us. Do we have that same love and same affection for God or are we just going through a lot of religious motions? It's the spirit and that cry of the spirit in my heart, not the works and the things I do that cause me to realize, to experience this powerful fact of adoption that I now belong to God and that I am God's child. I wanna close with this, just to help us understand this a little better, that Paul uses not a Jewish metaphor in adoption, but it was a Greek metaphor. And in the Greek world, the Roman world, adoption was something that people would do not so much to help out a child, but because a man, maybe he is getting older, he's got a lot of stuff, he's got nobody to leave his stuff to. And so he goes and he um, adopts, not a child, but an adult male. And this is the one that he brings in to be able to take and become the heir of all the things that he has. Paul picks this intentionally because there's so many truths about it in how we are adopted with God. One of those is this, 
It's kind of funny because the Roman man would go and he would pick someone who he felt was worthy. He would go pick someone worthy to be the heir and he would adopt them and then they would become the heir of all his stuff, all of the things. But here's what's so cool about God is God came and he didn't choose people who were worthy. He came to those who were unworthy and he made us worthy through the gift of his son. The other thing you see in this is that once that, that adoption process was finished, all of that man's debt was forgiven. All the debt that this adopted son had incurred was forgiven. Anybody want to be adopted, right? That'd be nice. Get rid of some debt. But all of his debt was forgiven. It was gone, taken away. And Paul says, this is how it is with your heavenly father. This debt has been paid. The other thing is that there was this acceptance into the family. He was no different then than one who had been born into the family. He was accepted. His acceptance was no longer working for something. He was given all of this. And you and I, through this adoption of God, because Jesus paid our debt, have now been accepted. There was obviously an inheritance that came with this. And now you and I are heirs with Christ of all that God has, but specifically we're heirs of his promises. We're heirs of his presence in our life. And here's something that should bring a lot of security to us is that it was an irreversible process. Someone might even disown their uh, natural child but this process of adoption was irreversible. Once it was done, it was a done deal. They're a part of the family, period. What I would hope this would do for us is one, that it would lead us to a place of thanksgiving and gratitude. It would lead us to a place where we rejoice more. We celebrate more what God has done for us. The second thing I would hope it does for us is it would give us confidence in life as we live, as we go about life. One, because I'm not trying to earn something. I can accept God's opinion. I can live out of that in this confidence. Don't have to live in this fear of man that becomes a snare in my life. The second thing is it gives me confidence in a world where it seems like things are going crazy, right? Things are going crazy again around us. We kind of thought we were coming out of it and now it seems like it's getting a little bit crazy again. Crazy is like the new normal, I guess. But it can give us confidence in facing these things and facing whatever comes our way, knowing that we are a child of God, knowing that God will take care of his children, knowing that the circumstances may not always change, but that God's grace is sufficient in all circumstances. That when we are weak, he is strong, that his grace is sufficient, that his power is made perfect in our weakness, that he will be there. And if you, by faith, are in Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you, then you are his child, period. He may not always be pleased with every single thing you do, 
but he will always be pleased that you are his child. And the spirit will work in you to create in you the righteousness that God has already given you as you pursue, as you desire, the spirit moves you through life. I wanna pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Lord, I do pray right now for anyone, Lord, who doesn't know you. God, they've never made that transfer, that transition from death to life by faith in Christ, Lord. They're still living. God, they're alive, but they're not living. God, I pray that your spirit would awaken them to the truth of Jesus, that he has paid this debt, that we can become your children, accepted, loved. God, I pray for that. I pray that that great truth would ring in the hearts of every believer that hears this and that your spirit would be stirred up in us. God, I thank you for that. Lord, help us to rejoice and celebrate this truth. Help us, God, that we would be able to um, live with confidence in a world. Your word says that we can live with confidence because we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God, I pray that would be the truth that we live in. Father, I love you. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.